Amen. How many of you are blessed to be here today? Say amen. amen. We are glad to have you. What a blessing it is to be with everybody here in the house of the Lord together. If you're a regular, Pastor Alex says this all the time, so I feel like I've got to start saying it. If you're a regular, this is where you belong. If you're our guest today, you know, we know that there are a lot of great churches in West Memphis and Marion, and thank you for choosing this opportunity to come and just worship with us today. We're excited about this series that we're starting today called Serve. I think uh, Pastor Alex did an absolutely bang-up job in Simon Says, giving us those five chapters in the book of 1 Peter. If you enjoyed that, put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. <clears throat> I want to jump in today, and I'm talking to you for a few moments about Jesus the pattern. How many of you know that he literally is the perfect man? He is the beginning of the new creation of God. He, he was and is God in the flesh to us. And he gave us an example for how we're to do everything in life, how we are to serve, as we talk about in this series this morning as we jump into it. And I want to use a passage of scripture from the book of Philippians. And I know you've just gotten settled and the cushion's feeling good, but I'm going to ask you if you would stand up with me one more time. We're going to read together from the ESV, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And when they get that up there on the screen, if Philippians chapter 2, do you have that? Is it coming up? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. There we go. Okay, I can't see it. All right, just, uh, just listen to me then. Here we go. That's great. Thank you, Tim. All right, let's go. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Bow your heads with me, please. Gracious God and Father, thank you for the amazing opportunity today to stand in this place again. I just thank you for our staff and our team here for the opportunity to be able just to take a break myself and to have a little vacation. Lord, I give you praise for all that you've done in my life and just refreshing and strengthening me this month. Thank you, Lord, for each of these hungry hearts that are here today. We just come and submit ourselves to you. We just thank you, Jesus, that you're doing a work in us. You've begun it, and you're not going to quit till it's finished. We thank you for that. We acknowledge that we need you. Lord, your word says in the very verse, first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Lord, today, in all of our blessing, we just say to you that apart from you, we're bankrupt. We desperately need you. God, move in our hearts today. There are needs that some are known, some are unknown, standing in this room this morning. Only you can meet them, but we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated this morning. I'm excited today because I believe that I have what is one of the most important messages that's in the Word. And that is when we look to the life of Jesus Christ and we see the example which he gave us, in every kind of way, he proposed an upside-down kingdom. It was in direct opposition, philosophically, 
socially, in every kind of way that people made an attempt in the Roman Empire to get ahead, which is very much like today. Just a dog-eat-dog world. It's it's, It's climb the ladder of success every rung at a time, stepping on whatever heads that you need to, in order to find your place in a position of prominence. And yet Jesus comes presenting the idea of the kingdom and he says, guys, that's just not at all what it's about. It's it's an upside down kingdom that if you want to live, you have to die. If you want to receive, you have to learn how to give. If you want to walk in forgiveness with me, you have to make the decision to forgive everybody else around you. If you're going to be great in the kingdom, it's not about struggling to find a place of prominence or preeminence, but it's about being willing to take the lowest seat. It's about being willing to stoop down and put on the servant's towel the way Jesus did in John 13. It's about being willing to stoop down and to take the form of the lowest servant of the house and wash the other disciples' feet. It's about getting down underneath the needs of someone else. Jesus gave us an example all about serving. When we look at this passage in Philippians chapter 2, we, we, we read the phrase beginning in verse 5, and it says, having this mind. Uh, the old King James says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, there are four verses previous to that that are basically talking about encouragement, uh, talking about sharing love one for another where there is no difference. And he basically says, not out of rivalry or out of vain conceit. Make the decision that you believe and show and demonstrate that others are more significant than you are yourselves. That you care more about others than you do the interest of your own. Uh, Jesus is demonstrating this very, very principled by the way he lives his life on a daily basis. It's from that concept of pouring ourselves out in selflessness, getting rid of all the selfishness and making our focus upon him first and then others and then ourselves last. By the way, that's the acronym for joy. Everybody say J-O-Y. Everybody say joy. This is the way you can have a life of joy. Think of priorities like this. Say Jesus, others, you. Now you're thinking, you know what? I heard that probably in about seventh grade Sunday school. You know what? It's amazing how sometimes the simplest things can be the most profound things. If we can learn to live those things that old Miss Taggart taught us in seventh grade Sunday school class. If you can remember what that teacher took the time to show you, sometimes it's those foundational principles. It's, it's a, everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten kind of principle in the kingdom of God. It's about being willing to help, being willing to serve, being able to be counted on, being trustworthy, being there to pour yourself out and to think about the needs of others before I think about the needs of myself. It's so easy to fall into the line of thinking that is predominant in the late 20th and the early 21st centuries, and that is that ministry has this kind of an upper-level echelon approach to things, and that has nothing to do with the way ministry is signified in the kingdom of God or in the Bible itself. The actual word minister literally means servant, diakonos. We get the English word deacon from it. A minister is someone who is supposed to serve the purpose of God first, serve Jesus first, serve the needs of the people, and then finally think of himself or herself last. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom where I make the decision that I'm going to be a part of the foundation instead of trying to be the cap on the skyscraper of the organization or the movement or the 
whatever I'm trying to build. It's the determination as a businessman that I really do decide to create a great product and I, I think about my customer first and I think about delivering something, a service, a product on time and with a great attitude. Letting this attitude, letting this mind be in me, which was also in Christ Jesus, that attitude of serving. Literally, the best way to translate this is mindset. Think the way Jesus thinks. The Greek, I'm sorry, the, the French gave us this word mentalité. It is the mentality of a true blood-bought Christian to think about serving. Ephesians chapter 2 says, We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The building of God stands strong because of the foundation of ministry that lay down their lives to undergird and get up underneath. Real ministry is not top down. It's bottom up. It's getting up underneath and serving the need in someone else's life. As we look this morning, five principles that I want to give to you very quickly. Number one, Jesus' own mission was driven by serving. Say that with me. Jesus' own mission was driven by serving. The close of this passage that I have, and I have the whole passage here. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to tell you the story. But verse 45 of Mark chapter 10 is what is so critical. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to set up a kingdom and order all of his subjects to be at his beck and call and, you know, meet any kind of human whims or desires. But he himself gave us the demonstration of what it was to get up underneath to pour himself out. Philippians chapter 2, theologians refer to that passage as the kenosis passage. It says he emptied himself. As we read on through that Philippians 2 passage, he emptied himself. The, the New Living Translation says he laid aside his divine privileges. Everything that he had a full right as the Son of God, as God the Son himself, he made the choice to lay those things down and take upon himself the form of a servant. He humbled himself. That's so opposite to everything in our society. It is so opposite to, uh, you know what, I got to lean the ladder against this wall and I got to climb the ladder of success. And too many times, as Stephen Covey said in his award-winning book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he said too many times we make it to the top of the ladder of success only to find out that we've had the ladder leaning against the wrong wall all along. And we've trampled people and we've wounded people and we've grasped and we've reached and we've struggled. And all of those things, the Bible specifically says, even though Jesus was God, he did not try to prove himself by grasping after it. He didn't struggle for promotion. But he knew that promotion came. And this is the, the ending principle that Pastor Alex gave, with, gave us in 1 Peter chapter 5. If we humble ourselves in due season, God will lift us up. Because God opposes, opposes the proud, but God will bless and pour out his favor upon the humble. Those who will take on the servant's towel. Mark chapter 10. The two sons of Zebedee, James and John, come to Jesus. And they say, teacher... We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus responds and says, well, what is it? What do you want? And they says, well, we want you to grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. And Jesus basically said to them, look, 
Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? And they confidently, too quickly answered and said, oh, yes, we can. And he says, well, you know what? You are going to drink the cup and you are going to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I'm going to be baptized with. But he says, let me just set this straight right now, guys. It's not for me. It's for my Father in glory to grant who's going to sit at my right and my left. And the Bible says the ten heard it. They overheard and they got ticked off. You know why they got ticked off? Because they didn't think of it first. Because it's human nature. It is, it is in, down, ingrained in our, Adam gave it to us. It's to reach and grasp for the thing that we're told, no, that's mine. When we reach and grasp for what's God's anyway, instead of taking the humble place, we don't end up getting the thing we're grasping for in the first place. But when we take the low road, when we empty ourselves, when we stoop down very low and we get up underneath the needs of others and we take the example and follow what Jesus gave us, his own mission was driven by serving. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It is amazing how Jesus Christ will lift you up. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And in that same section of Proverbs, it says, before honor is humility. When I humble myself, God will lift me up. If you believe that, say amen. Number two this morning, Jesus never called anyone to half-hearted commitment. Jesus never called anyone to half-hearted commitment. I just, I want to tell you that I'm excited today to ask you to partner with us if you're not already serving somewhere. I have a vision, I have a dream. God called Dawn and myself here 22 years ago. And we dreamed of Christians of various backgrounds being able to lay down the walls of division that denominationalism and sectarianism has built up. That one group thinks it's superior to the other and some actually have the idea that they're the only ones that are going to heaven. And so we began to build bridges and we started to dream and a few years into it, God gave us the dream for the piece of property that, by the way, as you come into now, we have already paid for. We're so excited that God gave us a half a million dollar piece of property out there on Airport Road that's already worth over three quarters of a million now because when we bought it, all those houses were non-existent. And I remember some people in the congregation looking at me and said, why are you going out there? Ain't nothing out there. (laughs) I said, I have an inkling. I remember walking the property, and I remember reading my Bible. I'm going to tell you, I read the New Testament walking up and down that road and taking my shoes off and walking around on that piece of property before we ever put in a bid on the first section of it, three, eight-acre, 10-acre, 12 acres. And I was standing on the promise when God told Abraham, as far as your eye can see, it's yours. But he told Joshua something different. He said, every place where the sole of your foot shall tread, you will possess. And I I believed enough of the word of God and the promise of God that I'm going to be Abby this morning and I'm going to kick him off. And I got out there and I left him in my car and I started walking around on those big hard pieces of gumbo and people are driving by and they see me with a little bitty New Testament and wonder what in the world. Isn't that crazy preacher from Victor? 
Eritrea. What is he doing out there? And I'm saying, God, in the name of Jesus, you said to Joshua that every place that the sole of his feet would be, that you would cause him to possess it. And I thank you, God, that you're going to give us a vision. You're going to give us a piece of the earth. And my pastor in Nashville said, Michael, you better, you better actually make your congregation think you're buying more than you need. Let me tell you, because when you start growing, you're going to get landlocked and you won't have enough because that's the one thing. Earth is the one thing that God's not making any more of. Get all you can. Six years into it, we paid the piece of property off several years ahead of time because God met our faith and he, he blessed us and provision came in. And I just think everybody ought to give God a great big shout right now. And I'm still dreaming. I'm still dreaming. I'm still, I know, I know naked feet probably offend some folks. So I'm going to put these back on before I sit back down in this chair here. And I just want to tell you that I'm still dreaming. Don't wake me up. I'm in a dream and I'm seeing this thing come to pass. I'm seeing a people who have started to come together where race is no longer the issue in Crittenden County. And they've gotten a vision that grace is bigger than race. And you put God in front of race and you get grace. And you start to see that there's something else that that motivates us. The way Martin Luther King said it, Jr. said it this way, that we would be discerned and we would be understood and recognized not by the color of our skin but by the content of our character. That we can sit down at the table of brotherhood together. And thank God we've got a church where it no longer matters whether you're white or black or you're you're Asian or you're Hispanic or any of those things. And we can come together and we can bring the blend, the the amazing, the, 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 the soup of the divine. And we can put a little bit of each of those cultures together. And we can worship the almighty God in his presence because he descends in this place. And he touches hearts and he's still saving people by serving them. And I want to tell you this morning, I've, I've never stopped dreaming. I'm not calling you to a half-hearted commitment. I'm, I, I'm calling you to make a decision. And, and, and I'm calling you, it's not just about grabbing one of these shirts. But you know what? It's about the way the New Testament says, put off the old man. And the Apostle Paul talks about it like garments. And he says, put on righteousness and begin to live after the, the new image that in which you have been originally created. I want you to know they had to find uh, one big enough for all this man this morning. (laughs) And I want you to think about this. This is not just about donning a shirt. It's not just about putting on a piece of clothing in equipment and showing up down here at the local expression of Victory Church. But this is about making a decision that in your spirit you, you put on this mindset that when you get up on Monday morning and you go to that cubicle and you're around those people who are who are mean mugging you and that are that are mean girling you and that are saying all the stuff to you that's just trying to tear you down. You 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 look underneath and you're like Superman with the S hidden underneath your Clark Kent clothes and you realize that there's a there's a heart of service down on the inside of you that says I'm gonna serve this thing in Jesus' name. Now we need you, we need our teams filled because guess what? This is August. Everybody's not back from vacation. September, we get past Labor Day, and we're going to be going, oh, my gosh, where did all these people come from? It happens every year. And 1045 is going to be wall-to-wall. 9 o'clock is going to be just about pretty close. I just want to tell you, we need you. We need, we need folks to serve in the cafe. We need some greeters who will put this on and get your best. I love Jesus. Smile on your face. I can imagine sometimes, let me tell you, it's not always fun. You have to follow through with commitment because this generation is long on I will and short on I did. 
We need folks that'll not just make a commitment and say, I will, but then not show up. We need folks that'll not just show up, but show up with the right heart and have this mindset, have this attitude. Among your relationships, have this mindset, which was also in Christ Jesus. That means you don't put it on. I love Jesus, just I do. (laughs) How are you? We're glad you're here today. You're the chairman of the hospitality committee. You're the first face that somebody sees, somebody who walks in off the street and they've seen the signs and somebody at work has said, man, come to our church. The spirit of God is moving. It's a team. It's not about any one guy, you know, but it's about this whole team that's actually coming together and catching a vision to see the Delta one to Christ and the gospel of God go forth and penetrate all the junk that binds the hearts of people here. It means putting this thing on, not just on Sunday morning, but putting it on in your spirit on Monday and on Tuesday and at the dinner table with your cussed kids on Wednesday night and (laughs) the people that you don't like and the neighbor that's fussing over six inches of dirt and where your fence line is and all the stupid things that happen with people that it takes their EGRs. You know what EGRs are? Everybody's got a couple of them in your life. EGRs are those people that... A little extra grace is required. (laughs) I know you don't have any up in your life. Don't even look at me in that tone of voice. (laughs) Jesus never called anyone to a half-hearted commitment. Luke chapter 5. Jesus, on one occasion, crowds pressing him and they want to hear the word of God. And he says, Simon, bring me your boat. Jesus gets into the boat. This is Peter's main piece of equipment for his job. It's his business. Listen to me, businessmen, businesswomen. You want God to bless your job, your business? Just put Jesus on the board of directors. Get him up in the boat with you. So Simon says, yeah, come on. So Jesus is out there and he pushes away a little bit. He's preaching from the boat to a massive crowd. He's standing up in the boat and he's preaching and they're listening and Hearts are being touched and they're seeing a whole new concept about the kingdom. It's an upside down thing about giving to receive and about dying to live and about serving in order to lead. He's preaching the whole, that sermon out there on the plains in Luke chapter 5. He gets into the one of the boats, which is Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. He sat down, he taught the people from the boat in verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to them, put out into the deep and let down your nets. Everybody say Nets. Nets, plural, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the net. This is in the King James where it's most clear because when Peter responds, he responds in the singular. Jesus said, plural, let down your nets. Now, if you think it's hard today to hear a word from Jesus and to discern it and hear the still small voice of your spirit and to get it confirmed in the word and you're trying to get some direction of God for your life and you think, man, how easy would it have been if I could have walked the shores of Galilee and if I could heard the actual natural literal voice of Jesus, oh man, it would just have been so easy to trust. Ah, wrong answer. Peter says, I know what he's thinking and I love it that we've just come out of the series of First Peter. Because this is the early days. And he's, he's, he's really still a little bit iffy about whether or not he's going to follow Jesus. But he says, come on, Jesus, get in the boat. Go ahead and use it. And so Jesus uses the boat to preach to the crowds. And the evangelistic meeting is over with. And now Jesus says, okay, now, boys, you've let me use 
your business to bless others. Now I want to bless you. Push on out there in the deep and let down the nets. Peter says, Master, you know, I've been doing this for about 25 years. My daddy did this. I've been fishing and I know these waters. And we're up here around Genesaret, that particular corner over there in that little lagoon area of the Sea of Galilee. And I'm telling you that we told all night long and we didn't get anything. But master, at your word, we will let down the net. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you this morning? Jesus never called anyone to a half-hearted commitment. Don't just chimmer the Lord because somebody's basically preaching you a word. I'm not trying to guilt you into getting on a team. I'm trying to call you to your purpose. I'm trying to call you to a high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That when we humble ourselves and we obey the word of the Lord, it's amazing how God will get up in every aspect and detail of our lives. And he'll bring his favor and he'll show up with his provision. You know the story. They let down the net. Singular. And even though Peter really honestly to goodness doubted in his heart that anything was going to happen, he's overwhelmed that he catches so many that the scripture says the net began to break. And they had to call other folks from other boats around them, come help us. And the the load was so great it overwhelmed them. Did you know that when you half-heartedly obey the Lord, you put other people's lives in danger? You can sink the boat. You can sink the business. Just half-heartedly humoring the Lord. God's not calling you to a halfway commitment. God's calling you to surrender all. God is calling you to give yourself away. God is calling you to throw yourself into the purpose of God. When he says nets, take him at his word and throw out all of them. Because guess what? When Jesus says that, there's something about the sound of his voice and the command in his word that all the fish are just going to be drawn to your particular service or your product or your business. You want Jesus to bless your boat? Get him in it and then do what he says do. Not half-heartedly. Because when you half-heartedly obey him, you can sink the boat and you can endanger other people's lives. Somebody say amen. Amen. Number three, this morning, connecting to God's purpose provides you with your greatest opportunity to give God glory and fulfill your destiny. Connecting to God's purpose provides you with your greatest opportunity to give God glory and to fulfill your destiny. And I want you to realize this morning that it is a privilege, it is an opportunity to put this on and show up consistently. And and whatever it is, you think, oh, it's insignificant. Let me tell you how significant every person on this team is around here. If we don't have Perry and ushers in place and folks in seats, if we don't have Miss Linda and her amazing team in the the cafe and, and coffee being brewed and these folks... Folks are getting here early in the morning. If we don't have folks on this team tuning their guitars and and learning the harmony to sing, if we don't have teachers that are willing to learn their lesson before they get here on Sunday morning, I was driving last Sunday on the way to church and a guy nearly ran into me because he had his Sunday school lesson reading it going down 77. And I'm thinking, I'm glad I'm not in that Sunday school class. But it's about loving the kids enough to get prepared and do it for Jesus the right way. Can I have an amen? Amen. Connecting to God's purpose provides you with your greatest opportunity to give God glory and to fulfill your destiny. Listen to this. The Bible says in Acts chapter 13, verse 36, for David served God's purposes in his own time. David served God's 
purposes in his own time. I, I was riding down the road, crossing the bridge to Memphis. Abby's in the Jeep with me the other day. And we're having just a, not the typical father-daughter conversation. Abby says to me, you know, Dad, I really feel like everything in the South is so consumed with religious rule-keeping. And I'm looking at her going, yeah, okay, keep talking. And she says, you know something? I, I, I really feel like that when folks have not gotten in con- connected to their purpose, then their whole focus is on keeping rules and battling sin issues. And I start to say, girl, you need to preach Sunday, honey. <laughs> Matter of fact, what she said so motivated me, it became one of my points. I said, keep talking. You, 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 you light Nicole and laying it on, my, on the altar right here in my heart. She said, I'm convinced that when people actually do begin to get a glimpse of the purpose of God for their lives and they throw themselves into it and they serve that purpose, then all of the the luster, all of the drawing, all the temptation for all of these rules that they've been breaking and the sin issues they've been battling, it loses power because they're motivated to do something greater, something they've been called to. And I'm going, yes! Yes! I said, baby, what have you been reading? Like, I'm figuring she's got to have gotten this out of the book. She said, I don't know. I've just been praying and worshiping in the room, and this came to me. I said, my, my, my. How we need to be connected to the purpose of God for our lives. You know what? David is an amazing example. As long as he stayed connected to his purpose, he advanced the kingdom. It's when he stayed home from doing what kings are supposed to do All of his other men and his commanders of his army went out to war in the springtime. And David decides he's going to stay back at the palace because he's bored. And he's out walking around one day. And then he overlooks on another rooftop and he sees a PYT, a pretty young thing over there taking a bath. And David ended up taking a bath and a whole lot of sin. And he had to kill a man and he had to lie. And it's all because he got disconnected from realizing his purpose. Sometimes in our moments, let me just say this, anytime you slip, anytime, let's just call it what it is, anytime you sin, it's because you get distracted from who you are. You forget who you are for a moment. You forget that you're a new creation in Christ, that God has delivered you and set you free and bought you by the blood of the lamb and he's paid the price and he's equipped you with the Holy Spirit. He's caused you to be born again, not even by your own choice, but because he touched you and regenerated you of his own will. And it's when you get your eye off of that and you forget. Another example of Peter, he's out here doing the miraculous because in the kingdom, it's another whole different dimension. The laws of the earth don't apply when you're walking in the kingdom and your eyes are on Jesus. He's stepping on the tops of the water, the top of the water, and those molecules somehow are holding up his heavy fisherman's body. But when he gets his eye off Jesus and he starts to pay attention to the wind and the waves, then he starts to sink. That happens to me. That happens to you. When I get disconnected from my purpose and I forget who I am, then sin issues come to the forefront. Number four, all of us can accomplish greater things than a few of us can. Did you know that all of us are smarter than one of us? Did you know that all of us can do more than just one or two of us or a few of us? Did you know that there is this principle that exists in every organization? It's called the Pareto principle. It's called the 80-20 
And we learn it this way. This happens at your work. This happens in a local church. And that basically says that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You ever heard that before? 20% of the people give 80% of the budget. 20% of the people cause 80% of the problems. 20% of the people jump in and are able to come together in a team. And let me tell you something. This is not just about having a core of folks, a few folks that are wholly committed, but God is asking every person, every Christian, not just in victory, but every Christian in every church, up and down Church Row in West Memphis and up into Marion and all over Crittenden County to catch a vision for the purpose of God for their lives and to serve God first and then serve one another. Oh, that's not good enough. Thank you, Greg, for the amen. I ought to have heard about 40 more. Everybody said, together everyone achieves more. That's the acronym for team. Say that with me. Together everyone achieves more. God's called us to a team. So many times in Southern churchianity, folks have this idea that, well, the pastor is the paid man who's supposed to study the word and pray the prayers and get up and on Sunday and give me, teach me, disciple me, make me who I'm supposed to be. You got a, a youth guy and you know, he's the one who's supposed to work miracles in your rebellious teenagers' lives and fix all the problems that you don't pay attention to all week long. Then you send them to a school and you figure the teachers have got to educate them when you hadn't been doing it at home anyhow. I know I'm not being shouted down right now, but how many of you know the real responsibility is in the home and family? It rests with moms and dads. Come on, somebody, say amen. My job is to coach this team. You've never watched a ball game where the coach actually gets out on the field, huts the ball, jumps back, catches it, passes it, runs all the way down there as a running back and receives it and then runs it across the line. No, he has a team or she has a team of folks that are carrying that ball down the field, advancing the goal, whether it's in a corporation, whether it's in a local church. We need a team. We need, we need producers. Let me tell you, we are in a generation of people where everybody is just entitled. Just give me. I just, just suck up all the resources. Just, just take up all the time. Just feed me. Minister to me. Uh, I, I, I need somebody to pay some attention to me. How many of you know that if you'll get your mind off yourself and serve God first and serve somebody else, it's amazing how God will show up and meet every need that you have. Yeah. Judges chapter 5. It's the story in 4 of King Jabin, who's king of the Canaanites, who comes against the Israelites. Judges is a sad book because it's like a roller coaster of victory and defeat, victory and defeat. God raises up a judge like a Samson or like an Othniel. Or in this story, this is wonderful because this is to you ladies. We've got a lady who is the judge of Israel at this time. Some of you don't know this story. God can use females in positions of leadership. God raises up Deborah. And Jabin is coming against them, and they have 900 iron chariots, and they have for 20 years pummeled and persecuted the people of God, the Israelites. And Deborah says, I've had it. I'm not going to put up with this any longer. And the Bible says that she arose a mother in Israel. How many of you know sometimes God needs a mama to stand up and go, I ain't going to put up with this mess no more? <laughs> Deborah stands up, and she prophesies, and she says, Surely this day the Lord will put Sisera in the hands of a woman. And Sisera was the commander of Jabin's army. 
And it's too long a story to go into, but it was a true thing that happened. Sisera wanders in after a hard day in the battle, and the Israelites look like they're being defeated. And he stops and walks into Jael's tent, this lovely young woman who is an Israelite. He asks for something to drink. She pours a big glass of goat's milk for him, and he lays down and goes to sleep. This woman was plotting. This woman was a smart woman. Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, lays his head down in the, right there in the tent of Jael, and Jael goes and pulls up one of the tent stakes, and she grabs a hammer. And while the commander of Jabin's army is over there, she goes and takes this tent stake and drives it right down through the temple of Sisera's head until it actually penetrates the soil below. Everybody go, ooh-wee. How many of you know, I hate it when that happens. <laughs> Jael, woman of God, doesn't even know that the judge in Israel prophesied that day, surely this day, because there wasn't a man that would stand up and do it. He said, God will deliver the commander of this heathen army into the hands of a woman. And sure enough, that day it happened. And Deborah rises and sings. She gets the spirit of prophecy on her and she starts to sing this song. And it's recorded in Judges chapter 5. And I love it because she says, That the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. I got to make it sound Hebrew, okay? Did you hear what I just said? She's giving God praise because the leaders took the lead and the people decided to serve. Oh my goodness. What an amazing concept. Leaders leading and people willingly giving their hearts and serving. It's a, it's a beautiful thing when you see a team to come together. It's, it's remember the Titans and it's the Hoosiers. And it's a Cinderella story when, when people come all the way up from the background and they've been the ones that have been prophesied. They've been prognosticated that they're the ones that are not going to make it. But it's amazing how when people decide to come together in unity and they catch a vision together and everybody finds his or her place on the team. It's amazing how that synergistic element starts to move and to cook and to work and more can accomplish great things than just a few can accomplish. Because in team, together, everyone achieves more. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? I'm finished. Number five. It starts with a willing heart. I'm believing kingdom advancing dreams and visions for Crittenden County. I'm believing absolutely outrageous things. I believe that in the end of our lives to the older generation, that we will witness not just a 100-year, but a 500-year flood. I'm not talking about the levees breaking or the Mississippi bulging. I'm talking about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God where it'll be written up in church history books. Somebody says, well, Jesus is coming back before then. I wish he would. It would fix every problem I've got. But if he doesn't, we have to be busy occupying and trusting him to pull down strongholds to tear down walled cities, to kill giants. And don't see the faces of people when I say that. We're talking about principalities and powers, ideas, mentalities that grip the South of entitlement and welfare and racism and prejudice and socioeconomic status. And my church is better than yours because I'm Baptist. And my church is better than yours because I'm Church of Christ. And any of the, or my church is better than yours because I'm non-denominational. God help us. 
to pull down all of those strongholds and to see bridges built and to see us serving one another and serving the community because we're serving Jesus first. It's not just a cool thing to put on a nice victory logo and a serve shirt on Sunday morning. But the real aspect of this is then it would, when it becomes so much a part of our nature that we actually start to do it without the shirt in the community. And we're serving the needs of people around us. And guess what? They say, man, I got to know something about you and your walk with God. And what church do you go to? That's when people open the door and you can drive a Mack truck of evangelism through it because they're asking you, I want to know. It starts with a willing heart. Psalm 110. Listen to the NIV. The Lord says to my Lord. This is the most quoted New Testament passage that comes from the Old Testament. Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord. And if you look at it in any of your Bibles, the first Lord is all caps. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Says to my Lord, capital L, little O, little R, little D. And it's because it's two different Hebrew words for Lord. Yahweh says to Adonai. The the Amplified Bible gives it to us. God says to the Messiah, which is Jesus. It's the Father saying to the Son, the Lord says to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Let me just give you a thought right here and I'm going to move on quickly. Jesus is seated on the throne with the Father until. The coming of the Lord is not any minute, it's until. It is until all of the enemies are made a footstool for Jesus' feet. It is, Jesus says through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11, 12, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry until, everybody say until, until we all come to the unity of the faith and to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ unto the perfect man. Everybody say until. So in other words, we're going to have a five-fold ministry working until we've come to the unity of the faith. I don't see that in the body yet. Therefore, it's until. Till, until is a time word. There, there are preconditions that must be met. The Lord is coming back, but I'm telling you, until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. Now, how, who does that? How do we do that? The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Verse 2, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. It is our kingdom call to advance the government of God, not by takeover and dom- domination, but by dominion through serving We get up underneath the needs of this community and we serve it. We become the hands and the feet of Jesus. We become a living example of what's just sitting across my chest this morning, but it becomes emblazoned into my nature because God has called me and you to be a servant first. Look at this, verse 3, and I'm finished. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Another translation says, your people will offer themselves willingly in the day of your power. That's right now. That's today. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. 
The reason we've made changes over the last couple of years is because we realize that if we only keep those we have happy, then we miss the opportunity to reach all of those out here that don't know Jesus. We have to be willing sometimes to lay down our own preferences in order to reach the young men, a generation that is yet to be born in Zion, those who need to hear the gospel whose lives can be changed and transformed, uh, a generation of teenagers and 20-somethings and, and young, young men and young women who haven't even gotten married yet, who catch a vision for their lives for the kingdom of God that is so great that it outweighs all of the other stuff that's drawing on them to pursue the gods of materialism and, and hedonism and self-pleasure and self-exaltation. If somebody catches a vision of Jesus and learns how to serve others, it's the greatest fulfillment that can ever happen in your life and mine. Would you bow your heads with me, please, this morning? Gracious God, I thank you for the opportunity to bring this word, to deliver it to you and to your people. And I ask you today in the name of Jesus that you take these words and you challenge us to be and do all that you've called us to be. Now, for just a moment this morning, I just want to say to you, before you begin ministry, before you start doing and finding destiny and purpose, you first of all have to begin with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Very simply, do you know him? Do you know him today? Please don't turn him away, oh Jesus. The words of the old song say, for without him, how lost I would be. Today, very simply, I just want to ask you, anyone in the room, would you like to take a step of faith, cross that line of faith? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call anybody to the front. Every head's bowed. Every eyes are, all the eyes are closed. Would you just take a moment? If you'd like to be prayed for in this prayer I'm about to lift up right now, would you just slip your hand up and I'd like to pray for you. Anybody who wants to cross that? Yes, sir. I see that one hand and another. Thank you. Father, in Jesus' name. Yes, I see that one. Anybody else? All right, now, those of you who know Jesus, he's the Savior of your life, you've been walking with him. If there's anyone in the room who sensed God calling you to find a place on the team, to be a producer, to jump in and serve, find a place somewhere to be a team player, and you really don't know where that is this morning, same with you. I'm not going to call anybody out, but every head's about every eye's closed. Anybody just want to say, Pastor, I just really want to, I want to get on a team, I want to serve, I want to do what you've called me to do. Anybody in the room this morning, would you just slip up your hand? Yes. Two or, two or three. I see. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for these this morning who have lifted their hands first and who said, I want to cross that line of faith. I want Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. God, thank you that you do the work that no man can do, that you save us, you forgive us. Lord, we turn from our past and we turn to you and we just say simply, Jesus, save me. God, there's some circumstances and some lives of some people this morning that are so great. They're, they're dismayed. They're, they're fearful. God, I ask you to touch them and heal them and strengthen them. Lord, thank you for the hands that went up at, at the end that said, you know what? I, I, I want to find a place to be committed and follow through and to serve and to find my place on the team. Thank you, Lord, that you're, there are unique giftings and callings. Lord, there are talents that are lying dormant in this room and we need them. Jesus, you need them. Thank you, Lord, that you connect them with an opportunity to find great fulfillment in their destiny and to serve you, O oh God, for your glory. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said.